I first heard about uh, Richard Henkel when I was writing my book, Super Thief, and I learned that he was responsible for, for sending a bomb to a massage parlor uh, to a prostitute who worked a massage parlor and uh, sending it to her as a uh, under the guise of a um, Christmas gift and blowing her up. He killed her basically to keep her quiet over something else that had, had happened. And I was aghast and, and, and realized, wow, this might be a story and a character that I want to look into well guys i got a great show for you today rick Perello is going to be on here in a minute he's a good friend of mine ex-cop retired cop from back in cleveland area done a bunch of stuff you just heard kind of him talking a little bit of a little taste of what you're going to hear about from him so let's welcome rick Perello. And I was aghast and, and and realized wow this might be a story and a character that I want to look into Man, yeah. that guy was that guy was a cold dude, wasn't he? Uh, he sure was. I think he still he still is. You know, I've been in contact with him for, for uh, over a year now, uh, about ten months going uh, into the completion of the book. And I first learned about him, uh, Gary, when I was writing my book Super Thief, which goes back probably fifteen years uh, from uh, working with Phil Phil Christopher, the master burglar, the sub subject of uh, of my book Super Thief, and he just kind of mentioned. Richard Henkel in in passing and, uh, you know, said that he was in, in, involved in the uh, murder for um, for life insurance. And, uh, you know, when you're a writer, sometimes you hear you hear stories or, or you hear a story or you hear about a certain character and it sort of it sort of plants a seed, you know. Oh, and you kind of file that away. And that's exactly what happened with, with this character, Dick Henkel, Richard Henkel. I filed that away. And years later, I started looking into him a little bit. I read a uh, a, a book, actually, a kind of a short story in a, uh, a book called Pittsburgh Characters. You know, he's a Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's a he certainly is a Pittsburgh character. And um, it was written by uh, that particular short story was written by uh, a, a journalist by the name of Paul Mariniak. And it basically tells the, the, the you know, the, the nuts and bolts of of, uh, of Henkel's story and uh, just what a character. I mean, he's basically a mobbed up, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's a, a mob associate connected with the Pittsburgh mob, Youngstown, uh, and, and uh, he's a contract killer, or, uh, you know, started off as a bank, a bank robber and uh, well entrenched in in uh pittsburgh's underworld and uh uh just the whole the whole thing uh just really just pulled me in you know there's just, there's just so much going on there's so many different layers so so rick uh what tell me about the mob connection was he did he have a particular mobster that that he named now you interviewed him in the penitentiary right yeah well i i never actually met him in person gary uh i i thought about asking if he would let me come and visit him but I thought I started writing to him at first. He said he didn't want to talk to me. He was 83 years old at the time. He had been in prison now for 40 years. He had uh, he had pled out to, uh, I think, four, four or five. Well, he admitted he admitted to he pled out to one murder. He admitted to involvement in four other murders. He claims, uh, at least from uh, an associate, uh, said that he claims he killed 28 people. Wow. Uh, I, I find that hard to believe, but uh, uh, I, I uh, started writing to him. At first, he said he didn't want to talk to me. I, I wrote back. I said, well, listen, what if I, I uh, 
I write back to you maybe six, eight months later, and I'll tell you how the book is going, and you can, you know, see how we go from there. He said, that's fine. That's exactly what I did. And when I when I, I wrote to him that second time, I included some questions in there. Well, that kind of caught his attention. He started writing to me. We started going back and forth. And, uh, and that continued on and on and on. And and, uh, and, um, and he was very honest. I have no reason to believe that he was dishonest with me. And I became very pointed with some of my questions. Now, of course, he could never step over a certain line. I mean, you know how it is dealing with these guys. Guys, uh, right. you know, if you ask, you, you're, and, and I knew not to ask certain questions. I didn't come out and ask him if he murdered a certain person, but you know, there's certain questions as a law enforcement officer you could you could kind of ask, you know, kind of uh, uh, kind of to kind of step up to that line, and and I and I tried doing that a little bit, and he was uh, um, he was forthcoming with some things, and and. Uh, uh, but, but he, like I said, he just never really stepped over that, that line. Yeah. And, uh, what, uh, what faction yeah. of the Pittsburgh crime family was he connected to? What, what, well, well, it was the, you know, what did he do? Well, he, he wasn't really, he's, he, first of all, he started off as a, as a, uh, bank robber. He served, uh, about four, he was actually sentenced to 20 years in prison for bank robbery. He's pretty young when he started in his early twenties. And uh, was sentenced to 20 years, got out after only four years in prison. You know, uh, uh, real injustice there uh, with with the system. Got out and, you know, may have already committed a murder or two at that point. Uh, So I think he had a real um, uh, reputation in Pittsburgh's underworld. Pittsburgh is kind of a smaller, smaller big city. So I think he came out and already had a reputation. And you know how it is, these guys meet, uh, you know, other other connected guys in prison. They make connections in prison. So they come out, they already have a reputation. They have their old connections. They have new connections. They come out. They want to get back in the business. He had a uh, a guy he was connected with named Joey DeMarco, who was uh, either, uh, I'd say was at least associated with the Pittsburgh mob, the John LaRocca crime family later. He got connected with a guy in Youngstown named uh, Joey DeRose Jr. Joey DeRose Jr. was a hitman for the Cleveland mob, in particular the uh, Carabia brothers. The Carabia brothers uh, uh, were were enforcers for the Cleveland mafia, but they were kind of responsible for the Youngstown area, the the Mahoning Valley, uh, Youngstown and Warren. Uh, which was split in in territory between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and uh, so so Richard Henkel was a close friend of of uh, this Joe DeRose Jr. and they may have done some you know some some hits together. We that was never really proven. So he had uh, you know he had the connections in in Youngstown. He was connected with this uh, Joey DeMarco in in um, in Pittsburgh. Joey DeMarco had a had a joint called the Court Lounge, where I think some of these wise guys hung out at. Uh, he was uh, Dick Hankel was also uh, associated with this uh, this drug and, and an enforcement group that was headed by these uh, these uh, uh, criminals, uh, kind of these these uh, really loosely connected organized crime guys. Uh, their names were uh, Robert Codfish Bricker and another one by the name of Charles uh, the uh, Charles Monster Kellington 
And these guys are really kind of a, a disorganized group of uh, drug traffickers and enforcers that uh, were, 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 were not the smartest bunch when it came to the use of, uh, of, of violence. And they came, they came tumbling down pretty, uh, pretty hard. But there's all this all this stuff going on, and, and like I said, there's just a there's just a lot going on in the story. The murder for hire or for life insurance? How did that work? I know I was researching the story about the murder of Judge Wood and Charles Harrelson's Woody's dad. He did some of that. So how did that work for him? Well, you know, Richard Henkel, he's really a con man. He's a con man and a killer, and he would. Uh, you know, always said he would. He was very loyal to the uh, uh, people a- around him as far as it, 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 it getting them in trouble with the law. He would never rat out one of his associates. He would kill him. He would kill one of his associates. <laughs> never rat him out. You know, uh, kill, he would kill him or her. Yeah. And 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 what he was doing was some of the uh, uh, a couple of the women I think that he was uh, around. One in particular is he would uh, convince them and these were not the smartest women to begin with they were they were vulnerable um and and he would convince them to take out life insurance policies and this was back during the the, the mid later 70s when life insurance w- was was kind of at its height of popularity to come into the the the, the personal finance picture where it became yeah. You know, it's just at the height of popularity where you had to have life insurance as a part of your your personal finance package. And so he would convince them to take out life insurance and say, look, I'll take a, a, a life insurance policy out. You take a, a life insurance policy out and we'll make our, our mothers the um, the uh, the beneficiaries. But he would he would, uh, you know, trick them into leaving the beneficiary line blank or and, and he would would finagle the the, the policy so that. He he would wind up having his mother as the beneficiary, mm-hmm. and then uh, he he would arrange for the the murder, uh, which he did in in the one case, and and he did um, uh, he did collect life insurance uh, that way on at least one, possibly two, uh, uh, murder victims, and uh, you know it, it's just a it's just a crazy thing that this 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 guy did. I mean, he was a he would, like you said, he was just a cold, a cold dude. And I don't know. I've asked, I've been asked, you know, I, I've, I've been in uh, corresponding with him. You know, what about remorse? Is there any remorse with this guy? I don't think there's any remorse. The closest he has come with me is saying that uh, he's not proud of what he did. That That's the closest. He's, he's not proud of what he, he did. Basically, like it, it is what it is. He's not proud of it. He did what he did. He's not proud of it. So yeah, this a, cop that you talk about, I see the uh, caption on the on the book is the true story of a mafia associate and a cop who emerged as suspected serial killers. And I see his name was Gary Small, and I just did a little checking on him. He had quite a checkered. Talk about he he was uh, got popped for providing guns for the Japanese yakuza. <laughs> like, come on, what, I mean, where did this guy come from? What, yeah, well, well, he w- he was arrested for uh, and convicted and served time for. Uh, violating japan's uh customs law and bringing bringing weapons and smuggling weapons into japan served time they suspected that it may have been for their organized crime the okay. yakuza the, and and uh so what's the story with this gary small yeah so he he was actually a decorated vietnam vet and he he's still around uh did not respond to my request to uh, talk <laughs> 
And uh, understandably, there might not be a whole lot of, of uh, things that he could talk about. Um, he he uh, came out of the Vietnam War. He, he had some uh, supposedly had injuries and uh, the Agent Orange syndrome, was a decorated Vietnam veteran, uh, came out, um, you know, honorable discharge, went into public service, became a cop for a, uh, a borough of Pittsburgh called Edgewood and was serving admirably uh by by uh, all accounts as a uh, a respected but rather quiet police officer but he had a um he had another life going on and was it was suspected that he was um providing uh weapons to organized crime figures in fact it was Joey DeRose Jr who uh, the the enforcer for the Cleveland mob in Youngstown uh when he was shot at by Pittsburgh uh mob soldiers uh he was uh joey was caught trying to hide a gun uh he, he had been shot when the cops got there uh joey was caught trying to hide a gun and when the, the uh when the gun was traced it came back to gary small in in the pittsburgh area and the way henkel uh hooked up with small is apparently when during their childhoods uh, gary small had been pretty close friends with with dick henkel's younger brother so there was kind of a family connection. And when Dick Henkel got out of prison, when he was paroled for bank robbery, uh, he met up with Gary Small and they lived together for a short time. And then, you know, apparently became associated. And uh, the, you know, police and the investigators suspected that they were doing some work together. You know, the police actually suspected that Gary Small was involved in some uh murders that dick henkel was involved in uh it was never proven uh and, and to be fair gary small was never even indicted for for a murder uh so you know i gotta make i gotta make that clear but he was suspected and uh you know that was that was widely known but just never uh but never uh in, in, indicted and he you know lost his lost his job as a police officer fought to get it back the borough you know the borough won the, uh, the, the, the legal case against him. And uh, he, he went on with some odd jobs and then left uh, to work uh, ironically with the military as a, uh, as a, I believe as a, um, as a sports, uh, uh, a sports uh, con consultant uh, um, working with the military in Japan before he uh, got, uh, got arrested. He, uh, so it's again another it's just a crazy part of the uh, part of the story with this Dick Henkel. Really, it is crazy. I, I assume that you know Youngstown. I, I did a show on Youngstown recently, and that was like wide open town, and and you know the criminals in the underworld just like ruled that town. And I kind of assumed that these guys probably were you know ran those bars and. And those operations in Youngstown, because that was, you know, that was open city for mobsters, criminals, professional criminals like this back then. Yeah. Well, I think it was pretty, I think at a, at a time it may have been. And then it seems like Cleveland and, and, and Pittsburgh, you know, they had their, their, they had their crews in there and it was pretty much run by Cleveland yeah. and, and, and Pittsburgh up and up until the point where you know after the murder of, of Danny Green yeah. and then you know uh Cleveland you know lost much of their control and i think there were attempts by some other some other crime families to kind of move in yeah is there any other particular stories about uh Dick Henkel that, that 
my guys might find interesting. Here. Oh, there, there's, there's, there's quite a ton a, of them in the book. So give us another example. Yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, the guy was, uh, you know, he, he, he did not like being held in, in prison. Not like, not that any of these guys would, but he yeah. was, he was not, the guy was pretty smart and he, he had a lot of connections and, uh, he was determined that, that he was going to, uh, he wasn't going to be held for trial. He, he was going to, uh, he was going to settle out of court, but that, that meant like he was going to, uh, he was going to escape, you know? And, uh, so he had some plans to escape from the County jail. And when they, when they, when they found out, they moved him over into the, uh, into a state prison, which was right in Pittsburgh. They had a prison right there. And he, uh, probably from day one started making plans to, uh, to get out of prison there. He was able to, over time, um, bribe a prison employee to, uh, with, without the prisoner, without the prison employee, even knowing he bribed him into smuggling in two mini revolvers. Wow. And the way he did this is the, the prison employee believed that he was smuggling in, uh, marijuana, two bundles of marijuana in the false heels of shoes mm -hmm. that he picked up from one of Dick Hankel's associates on the outside wore the shoes in and then traded the shoe, switched the shoes with Henkel. Hank, so the Henkel now has two mini revolvers load, loaded with, um, with four rounds each. And uh, he makes, he makes his move with, with another young fellow prisoner and the plans get foiled when a uh, prison guard Sees the shoes he, uh, when when um, Henkel's getting ready to be transferred to court, along with the uh, his his other uh, fellow his fellow prisoner. Sees the the shoes. You see something strange in there. Starts picking around in there with a pen. Sees the gun. They start battling for the the gun. Well, uh, Henkel and the other guy get the drop on the prison guard, and therein uh, starts this uh, five or six day siege. Oh, really? uh, and. Uh, and this thing goes on in a hostage situation, and it's a big mess at the prison. Fortunately, fortunately, it ended. Nobody was hurt, but this thing is going on. There's news uh, from all over Pennsylvania parked on front. This is probably one of the biggest things that happened, uh, biggest crises that happened within this, the Pennsylvania state prison system, uh, certainly in the 70s and 80s. Uh, it had to be one of the top uh, five uh crisis situations that happened and again fortunately nobody was uh nobody was hurt and that prison was sitting inside the city limits of pittsburgh yeah yeah oh, interesting wow yeah it was called western western penitentiary yeah uh, you know when i was in in uh college they talked about the penitentiary systems in pennsylvania they were like the first formal penitentiary system so they've been doing penitentiaries for a long time hence the word penitent from quakers <laughs> yeah so interesting this has been great uh rick perello my friend the book is there's more bodies out there the true story of a mafia associate and a cop who emerged as suspected serial killers so interesting now rick you, you guys you know rick's been on here before so rick tell us a little more you you made your bones 
off of Danny Green. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So tell, remind the guys a little bit about your your history there with Danny Green and the movie and the book, Kill the Irishman, and it was great, by the way, and documentary, all that stuff was great. That You really you, you inspired me, I'll tell you right now. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I think I've inspired quite a few people, uh, I, from what I understand, from what I've heard, to start writing uh, back in the... Uh, in the uh, 90s about more about the regional crime families, yeah. you know, we used to hear a lot about New York and Chicago, but then you started having after the rise and fall of the Cleveland Mafia, that was my first book came out in 95. You started having more books come out, Kansas City, you know, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Philadelphia. But uh, yeah, so my second book, uh, which I self published and decided to self publish, and it was kind of wild. The the uh, uh, to kill the Irishman. It was um, option for film before we even went on the shelf. <laughs> and a uh, young producer named Tommy Reed shepherd shepherded this thing through, and it became it was adapted for the movie Kill the Irishman. Uh, it well, came out had, in you know, people in it, you know. I mean, it had uh, 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 Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Ray, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Vincent Donofrio, Ray, Ray, Steve, Ray Stevenson, Ray Stevenson's, uh, uh, yeah, Val Kilmer, uh, Christopher Val Kilmer. Walton, and uh, yeah, a great ensemble cast. Uh, and uh, it's on Netflix. It's doing it's doing good. Got good ratings. And uh, yeah, Kill the Irishman and um, Super Thief. Like I said, is how I um, how I learned about Dick Henkel. Yeah, now Super uh, Thief. That's a particularly interesting story. Just give the guys kind of a brief overview of Super Thief. I like I like high stories myself. Well, and and you know it's in uh, it's been in development for film, so I hope it I hope it will end up being uh, you I know the too. next great heist flick. We'll yeah, see. I do too. But it's the story of a master burglar named Phil Christopher in one of the biggest uh, bank heists, uh, bank burglaries in U.S. history. Uh, which occurred in the in uh, I think it was 1972 in uh, Orange County, California, Laguna Niguel, California. It's been featured in documentaries, uh, and uh, it's a it's a great it's a great story. Uh, uh, Phil's a great character, and there's other you know mobbed up burglars involved uh, from the Youngstown area again, from the Cleveland area. So I've got uh, high hopes for uh, for that book and. Uh, you know, just con continuing on with uh, they say, write what you know, right? And yeah. uh, so uh, continue on with the organized crime thing. Yeah, well, good. We're glad you did. You give you give me a a good guess, interesting stories for for my guys out there. And uh, like I said, you you were you were a huge inspiration for me when I first got started in this. I said, hell, here's a there's an ex cop or a cop <laughs> that's done this documentary and he's written this book and and what you wrote about reminded me so much of the seventies in Kansas City. We had the similar kind of a mob war in in the seventies yeah. in Kansas City, and I was right in the middle of that. And so uh, you were a big inspiration. You know what's what's interesting to think back for me, Gary, is that I kind of owe my interest in organized crime to the fact that my grandfather, who was one of Cleveland's first big mobsters, was was murdered. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a strange thing to to, to think about that, you know, and, and I was a, a, a couple of generations removed from the, from the from all the bloodshed, you know, uh, so and I had a one of his extended relatives, uh, Angelo Perello, lived here in Kansas City, he was a made guy here in Kansas City. So. Yeah, Angelo and his brother uh, Joseph was killed, I think, in the 1960s. Uh, yeah. So interesting. All right, Rick, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, Gary. It was good to be here. All right. Thanks a lot, Rick.
Bye-bye. Well, guys, that was great, wasn't it? Rick Perello, my good friend Rick Perello, been on here before, and, and you need to go back and, and find one of those if you want to hear the inside story of Kill the Irishman. I bet you all know about Kill the Irishman. So it's been great. Don't forget, I ride a motorcycle. So when you're out there, look out for motorcycles. And if you have a problem with PTSD or one of your friends does or relative or something, and they've been in the military, go on the VA website and get that hotline and give that hotline a call. So thanks a lot, guys.